Thanks, Jen. Good morning, everyone. Wow, you guys are you guys like wake up more when it's you know I'm you know not doing vision time. That's impressive. I like that. Dave woke you up. Well, that's that's good. Um, Peter, I'm stealing your music stand because I don't have another one, and I'm going to throw stuff on the floor. That's okay. All right. So um, let's see. Normally, when you preach, you have a big fancy introduction. I don't have one of those this week. Because in addition to the big, fan, big craziness that you know, the month end brings when you work in a financial institution, I've had a lot of other just family stuff capped off yesterday with my dad falling off a ladder and breaking three ribs and spending the afternoon in the hospital, capped off totally this morning by my boy Joey over there locking himself in a locker here at Prairie View. <laughs> so I look at it like this. When you, when you have a steak and potato coming, why waste time on a salad, right? So we've got meat coming, so let's pray, let's dive in, and let's see what God's Word has to say for us today. Father God, I confess that I am woefully inadequate to preach your Word today because I am a sinner, and I have all kinds of faults and flaws and weaknesses and things that you know about that I don't even know about. So Father, this morning, I ask simply that the Spirit would come and that the Spirit would teach today, that every word that comes out of my mouth would be uh, the words of the Spirit, that you would take this meager offering that I have done of preparing um, and that it would be that you would use it and return it um, a hundredfold and that uh, those who have ears would hear and be blessed today by what your word has to say. Father, we commit this to you. We do it all for you because your son Jesus deserves all the glory because of what he has done for us. We love him, and we love you, Father God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are still actually, believe it or not, still at the Festival of Booths. And as Denny pointed out a few weeks ago, uh, in starting in chapter 7 of John and, and moving into chapter 8, this is a time when the Israelites got together and celebrated and remembered things that God had done by camping and grilling out, which I think is awesome for this time of year. I can't think of a better thing to do than to go out, camp, and grill out. And that's what the Israelites have done. And that's what we've spent this past several weeks taking a look at because John spends a good chunk of time here as he's talking about and explaining things to primarily, initially, to an audience of early believers in the church. But then Thankfully, God has preserved this for us today that we can also take a look at it. And as we've taken a look at these things, Jesus has said many controversial things. He's challenged people. He's challenged um, many various things. And we're at the last night of the festival. And as Pastor Dave talked about last week, this was the the night that they lit, lit the big torches, if you guys remember that from last week. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And at the end of that passage in verse 30, um, of John chapter 8, it says that many people have believed or many people have put their faith in Jesus. And so now we are picking it up right in verse 31. There's no time that has passed because Jesus now is turning his attention from the Pharisees. He's now turning his attention to those new believers. And what Jesus desperately wants them to know and desperately wants them to do is to go deeper in their level of discipleship. Jesus does this consistently throughout his ministry. Jesus is always taking people, and when he says something, 
here. He'll take certain people. He'll take disciples, people who want to know and follow him. He'll take them deeper and explain and challenge them and basically tear down their preconceived ideas of who God is and what the kingdom is to be about and then build them back up in the correct fashion. Jesus, at this point, wanted these people to desperate. He desperately wanted them to know and understand that belief isn't an add-on to our life, but the beginning of a whole new way of life. The main idea today is simply this, is that if you want to believe in Jesus, you must, and I do mean must, embrace the change that comes with that belief. So at the beginning of of this passage, in in verse 30, we see that many people believed, and then in verse 31, we see the first of three things that we, can, that we learn about the call of discipleship. And the first thing that we see here is that the call of discipleship is immediate. There's no, there's no downtime between verses 30 and verses 31. Jesus doesn't tell these new believers to go home, have a bath, get some sleep, come back tomorrow, and that's when we'll start your formal discipleship. People believe, and immediately Jesus is challenging them and wanting to take them deeper because he wants them to understand immediately the demands and the requirements and the call of discipleship. So what we can learn from that is that we need to begin discipleship immediately. And the only way we're going to begin discipleship immediately is if we have a plan to be in place to do that. So I'm going to ask everyone here who's a leader, which I think we've discovered in the past is pretty much everybody in this body. Parents, how many parents long, you don't have to show hands, but how many parents long for their children to come to know Christ? How many parents then have a plan in place after, you know, little Johnny has, accept, has come to Christ, have a plan in place to disciple him? Because parents... The first and primary responsibility, and, I'm, and honestly, guys, I'm preaching this more to myself than I am to you. The primary responsibility for discipling your children is yours as a parent. It's not the junction's job. It's not the Christian school's job. It's your job as parents. That's what God has entrusted you with. And so I ask you, if your child has professed faith in Christ, what's your plan for discipleship? What are you doing? What, how are you challenging them? I challenge the fellow leaders of Waukee Community Church. You know, are, do we have a plan? If somebody were to come in today and they were to humble themselves and repent and confess their sins, do we have a plan, an idea of what we would do with this new believer to walk them down the road of discipleship? We say that our goal is to make disciples, but do we have a plan? Do we have an idea? And Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we have to have a formal program. You know, parents, I'm not saying you have to go to the Christian bookstore and, you know, and go to the discipleship section and pick up the package and go up and pay for it and work through that. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, in essence, are you, your plan of discipleship has to include you being discipled as well. As a parent, you need to be being discipled so that as you are learning and you are growing and things are challenging in your life, you can pass those things on to your children and that you can grow them up in the way of Christ. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded this earlier this year, I had opportunity to go and attend a missions conference with 
several other folks that are like-minded folks that are serving in our adopted missions country in the Middle East. And that was in one session, and they were talking about um, a time of, or a particular plan that they have for discipleship. And these medical missionaries had opportunity, and this lady came to Christ, and so the, the wife of the couple had sat down with her and was going through some stuff, gave her some materials, and said, okay, go home, take a look at this material. You know, we'll, and, you know we're out of time today, but take this home, read through it, and, and we'll talk about it next week. And so they get together next week, and so the, the, the missionary there says, okay, did you have a chance to look at that stuff? She, and the lady there said, yes, I had a chance to look at it. It's fantastic. I loved it. In fact, I loved it so much, I shared it with my husband, and now he wants to follow Christ. And I'm just like, yes! That's what discipleship is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be, we talk so much about being a contagious Christian, but we don't want to do it under the guise of discipleship. That is a huge component of what we're to be about, is not only sharing our faith, but we do that when we're being discipled because then we have things we can share with other people. You see, there is no such thing in the mind of Christ as an undiscipled follower or believer. Francis Chan, in his book Crazy Love, writes this. He says, Some people claim that we can be Christians without necessarily becoming disciples. I wonder then why the last thing Jesus told us was to go into the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he commands. You notice that he didn't add, quote, but, you know, hey, if that's too much to ask, tell them just to become Christians. You know, the people who get to go to heaven without having to commit to anything. The great commandment, the last marching orders that Jesus gave his church was to go and make disciples. And we see here that the call is immediate. The second thing that we see here is that after the call is immediate, we see that the call is intimate. In verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So what does it mean to abide? Well, I, something that kind of helps me understand this concept of what it means to abide um, and that it's something more than just reading your Bible for 15 minutes every day or, you know, praying for three and a half minutes after that, you know, and checking it off your to-do list, is that abide is so similar to the word abode. And an abode is a place where you live. It's where you take refuge. Your abode is where you come after the world is beat on you all day. You come home. And you sit, and if you're like me, you sit in your, in your recliner and you just kind of go, ah, it's good to rest. It's good to be home. And that's what it means to abide. It has to be something more than just showing up on Sunday morning or going to life group or merely just reading your Bible every day. Because a plant that doesn't abide in the soil where it can draw up nutrients and water and grow will die. It never has a chance to blossom. And as we all know, disciples blossom. So so, right there. If you don't believe me, it's it's written down, so it has to be true. (laughs) Discipleship 
is an abiding condition. It's a life, not an act. It's something that we, that we just are. You don't just do it. You don't just abide. It's, it permeates you. It, it's within you, and it flows out of you then. It's a condition of the heart, and it's a way of life for the believer. I read this quote this week. It says, from Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament, he says, We accept church members on profession of trust in Christ. Continuance in the Word, i.e. teaching, provides the sincerity or insincerity of the profession. It is the acid test of life. So are you continuing on in the teachings of Christ? Because that's the acid test. Merriam-Webster, in the dictionary, provides this. And I love this definition of what it means to abide. Because it says here that abide means to accept without objection. It means that we just agree. We take it. That when Jesus says something... We don't go, yeah, but. I mean, those of us with children know that that's the, the favorite thing of a child is, you know, like, yeah, we need you to go, yeah, but. You will, yeah, but. And yet we do that all the time in our own walk with, with the Lord, that we don't just take it on face value, that we don't exhibit trust in our Heavenly Father when He tells us something. So that's what it means to abide, but what are we to abide in? And we are to abide in his word. And what does his word mean? Well, simply put, his word is his teaching. It's his message. And I think ultimately, his message is the gospel. I think sometimes we get this mistaken idea that the gospel is simply for the unbeliever. That we walk through our life and we think, well, the gospel is what we tell people to get them saved. And then after that, the gospel doesn't apply. And that is wrong. It is so wrong. The gospel is not for unbelievers. The gospel is for sinners. And I don't know about you, but even though I walk and follow Christ, I still sin. I still blow it. If I were to stand up here today and tell you that I don't still sin and I don't still blow it, there's like three people over there that would probably stand up and go, excuse me, alone, because they just live with me all the time. I mean, that doesn't count countless other people that I come in contact with. The gospel is for sinners, and we are all still sinners. One of my favorite authors is Jerry Bridges, and he has a, a kind of a, his catchphrase, if you will, or his, his thrust of, of his writings is the idea that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And we do. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the gospel says this, that I am a sinner, that I have broken God's commands. Whether it's God has told me not to lie and I have lied, or whether God has told me to love my neighbor as I love myself and I've not done that. Whether it's something I've done on purpose or something I've just forgotten to do, I've broken every single one of God's laws. 
I don't know about you, but the one that always seems to nail me, and this is, you know, a little, little confession time, one that nails me is my, what, I get frustrated with somebody, and I go, idiot. Jesus calls that murder. Every time I get frustrated with somebody and I call them an idiot, I'm killing them. Ouch, that hurts. I'm a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. I can promise you that. And that's why we need to abide in his word because his word teaches us the truth of not only just who we are, but who he is. And that is that Jesus was perfect and is perfect. And that when he came to earth and took on flesh, and not just as a good teacher, but walked through this life, he ultimately paid the price for those sins that I could never pay. This morning we celebrated communion, which is a time to celebrate just that. We pause and we reflect that Jesus willingly laid down his life so that those of us who would humble ourselves and repent could be reconciled back to him. That's the gospel. Basically, in a a nutshell, the gospel says, me bad, God good, Jesus saves. That's the gospel. And that's why we need to preach it to ourselves every single day. And that's the first of our applications on this one, is that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. The second one is that we listen to the Spirit's teaching. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John fifteen twenty six says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So not only do we read the word and we get teaching from the Spirit that way, but we surround ourselves with godly um, teaching and we surround ourselves with, with godly messages and surround ourselves with godly music. You know, we live, we are so blessed to live where we live because we have so many resources at our fingertips. We can go on iTunes and we can download good, godly music to listen to and surround ourselves every day. We can go out on the internet and we can download messages and sermons from godly men from all across the country. And there's even, you can even download this message and play it again and again and again and again and get really sick of it. But, but you can listen to the messages even from here and go back and say, you know, what, what did I hear on Sunday morning? How can I apply that? How can I How can that impact me in my life? That's what it means to abide in his teaching. It means, like I said, to read the word. And I think the fourth thing that it means is that it means living out what we're taught. A moment ago, I just said, you know, there's so many great resources that we can do. We can download sermons from all across the country, from, from godly men who are just blessed by the Spirit. And we can read book after book after book by godly men and women and, and, and have it impact our lives. We can read our Bibles just all the time and we can listen to all kinds of godly music. But the problem is, is that if we don't then live that out, all we're being are spiritual gluttons. 
and you can look at me, and the problem when you're a glutton is you get fat, okay? When you eat too much, you end up looking like me. So don't be spiritually fat. Be spiritually fit. Get out there. Do things. Love your neighbors. Serve people. Tell people about Jesus. This is what we mean when we say that a disciple should be moved to action. You know, I was, I was thinking about, about this, and I'm reminded of a story. I think sometimes we get so frustrated, and we get so timid, and we're so afraid that we're going to be outside of God's will. And I, and I happened to be listening to uh, one of these podcast sermons uh, from Mark Driscoll, uh, pastor of the church in Seattle. And he was telling the story about a guy who came up to him after service one week, and he said, he says, Pastor Mark, I really want to do something to serve, but I don't know what God's will is for my life. And, and he, Mark said to him, well, what do you like to do? And the guy says, well, I, I, I really like talking to people and, and meeting people and, and, you know, and just getting to know. And he goes, great. Would you like to be a greeter? That's something, you know, that, that would use those skills. So he's like, yeah, that would be great. And, you know, I love having people over to my home and, and just being hospitable. And, you know, do you think maybe someday I could, you know, I'm not ready yet maybe, but do you think I could maybe be a life group leader? And he said, yeah, that would be, that's, that's great. We can train you. We can, you know, we can give you the training. And if you're hospitable, that's a, that's a perfect match. And, and the guy then looked at him and said, but how do I know it's God's will? And Pastor Mark said, do you want to do it? Yeah. Does it glorify God? He said, yeah. He, Pastor Mark said, go for it. So often we sit back and we're just so afraid to live lives of action because of the fact that we're, oh, I don't know if it's God's will for my life. I'm, I'm afraid I might do something to derail the massive freight train that is God's will. You know, me, little me. No. Be active. Don't be afraid. Do stuff. Love your neighbors. Because as we live out that gospel, as we live out the truth that comes from abiding in Christ, we see our lives changed. And that's the third point, is that the call of discipleship is immediate, the call of discipleship is intimate, and the call to discipleship is life-changing. We see here in verse 32, it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth is, again, as I said earlier, is that who we are in Christ, who we are apart from Christ, yes, you, when you preach the gospel to yourself, you understand, yes, I'm a sinner. But as Joey and I prayed this morning during communion, we said, you know, yeah, I'm a sinner. We know that Jesus' blood, for those who have repented, covers those sins. And I am a child of God. That's the truth. That's the truth of who I am in Christ. We know that as we read his word, we learn and we read that apart from him, we can do nothing. And that truth sets us free to live lives of humble obedience to him. You see, the world has a warped view of freedom. Freedom to the world means that I can do what I want, when I want, to whomever I want. It means I can, the world thinks that I can lie, cheat, steal, oppress whomever I want if it means I get what I want. I'm looking out for number one. That's all that matters. 
But this freedom leads to a totally corrupt way of thinking. I mean, not to mention the fact that, as I said before, that we think we can lie, cheat, steal, or oppress, which are, last time I checked, all sins. But it also leads to this idea that there's no consequences for our sins. And it leads us to compound sin with sin. We have this idea that my freedom trumps and supersedes anybody else's freedom, which leads to the Holocaust that's going on every day in our country with the unborn children. What a perfect manifestation of freedom, all in the name of, I can do whatever I want to with my body. I mean, do we really, truly want limitless freedom in our culture? I mean, really, we have limits in place already. I mean, how many people think you should be able to drive as fast as you want at any point in time? Anyone? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad that we have speed limits in school zones because I know if there were no limits, we would have children hit every day during the school year. Limits are a good thing. But what Jesus says about this type of freedom, this I can do whatever I want, is that this type of freedom is really slavery. Because what happens is you become a slave to satisfying yourself. How many of you know this person? And I used to be this person, so I can say this. How many of you know this person who um, gets a, a PlayStation and you know they're playing, 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 and then you know, they're ha- completely content until, oh, the PlayStation 2 just came out. Oh, now I want that. And so I go out and I buy that, and I'm playing, 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 and I'm all happy. Oh, now there's the PlayStation 3 that's come out. And then I go out and I buy that, and I've become a slave to this marketing cycle. I mean, how many people lined up to go get their new iPhones over the past couple weeks? When they're perfectly, their iPhones, their old ones are perfectly fine. But I've got to have the latest. I want the new toy. It's shiny. Look, it's really cool. You know, we fall prey to this. That's what happens when we live to please ourselves. True freedom is not doing whatever I want, but it's doing whatever the righteous judge of the universe wants me to do. John 14, 6 says this. Because now we can obey with a clean conscience. Because we're not trying to live a life that's trying to bribe the judge. We're not trying to impress our neighbor. And we're, but we are living to please our father. Dave and I have a joke. And we, we share this quite a bit in message community. But when we were in um, uh, the Middle East last year um, on the missions trip, we, we asked one of our, our uh, students that we were talking to, how do you determine which mosque you go to? How do you decide? I mean, you know, and they say, well, sometimes you go because of a particular, you know, speaker or whatever. He says, but a lot of times, most people will walk to the mosque that is the furthest away from their home because it earns more favor with God. And yet we do that so much ourselves. We have this mentality of we have to do things because we're trying to balance the scales. And that's what the gospel tells us, is that we cannot balance those scales, no matter what good deeds I do. Because even the best deeds I do apart from Christ are worth nothing. They don't balance the scale. I've shared this quote before, and I love it, but Matt Chandler, pastor of the church in, in Dallas, said this one time. He said, the scary thing isn't 
that God is going to judge our wicked deeds? The scary thing is that according to Isaiah, God judges all of our righteous acts as but filthy rags. Apart from Christ, I could do all kinds of good things, but they don't impress God. When we are a disciple of Christ, our actions are born out of a sense of not, I'm trying to impress God, I'm not trying to earn his favor, I'm not trying to to influence or woo or, or bribe the judge, but instead, my actions, my actions are born out of a sense of love and desire to just to, you know, I, I love God. I love my heavenly father. I love Jesus. And I want to do this because I want to please them, not because they're going to like me anymore, but because I love them. So in this call, we see that the call to discipleship is immediate. We see that it's intimate and we see that it's life-changing. Turn over. Make, if you have your Bibles open, if you don't open your Bibles, back up to John chapter 8. If you do, let's flip over to verse 51 because it gets really good. Verse 51 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, so this call to discipleship, we get freedom, we get truth, we get the ability to abide with the Creator, and we get the ability to be free, and we get the ability, and we never will know death. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal to me. I mean, it really does. That's a pretty fantastic deal. So you sit back and you begin to wonder, well, why would anybody not be a disciple then? Why would anybody not seek to follow Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? And I think there's two primary reasons why and two primary excuses why people would choose not to be a disciple. And the first one is the message. The Jews rejected Jesus here. Because he asked them to change. Because of the message. See, some people... Some people only love Jesus because of part of what he teaches. Some people only love Jesus because he teaches certain things. Like, well, I love Jesus. And I love that part where he tells me that, you know, I shouldn't judge. Nobody should judge me, Right? You know, judge not lest ye be judged. I really like that. I love that part of Jesus. Go, Jesus. And we ignore all the other stuff where Jesus tells people to, you know, don't sin. Repent of what you're doing wrong. You know, I love that part where he tells tells people not to judge me. But I really don't like that part where he tells me that I should love him more than I love my mother or my father or my sister or my brother or my children. I don't like that part. So I'm going to just pick and choose. I'm going to go up to the buffet of Jesus, and I'm just going to like, you know, I like this. I don't like that spinach idea. I'm going to skip that on the buffet. True disciples love Jesus, and they love every 
word that he says, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. True disciples take the whole counsel of God to heart and they let it permeate their lives. Look, I'm going to be the first one to admit that Jesus teaches and says a lot of hard and difficult things. There's a lot of things that when you read, you're like, whoa. I'll never forget the first time I was reading as as a new believer. I'm reading through the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm reading through my Bible and I come across the passage where it says, you know, if you love anyone more than you love me, you cannot be my disciple. Like, really? Well, that's that's kind of harsh, Jesus. What about my wife? Can't I love her more than you? No. You know, well, can't I love, you know, some, anything? No, nothing. Me, first. And that was hard. That's a hard teaching. But the option is either we accept that and we accept the whole teaching of God and we te- accept the whole teaching and the truth, or the alternative is that you hear so often when you confront people about the realities of what Jesus says, they go, well, my God would never say that, or my God would never do that. And then you know what? They are absolutely right, because their God doesn't exist. He's a figment of their imagination. They've made up their own personal Jesus to kind of fit their own conformity. We have to take the whole counsel of Jesus, the whole counsel of God. If we don't love everything that Jesus loves, then we're not being his disciples. And that includes loving things like mercy and justice. Loving the poor, loving the weak, the hungry, and the homeless. Loving your enemies. That was another one that kind of got me hard. That's that's hard. Would you mean love my enemies? What? Are you crazy, Jesus? No. And that's what we're called and commanded to do. And we cannot pick and choose like we're at a buffet or a cafeteria of which teachings of Jesus we want to follow. We have to follow them all. Because by following all of them, our lives change. And we're transformed into his likeness. The second thing, the second reason why I think a lot of people don't want to become a disciple is partly it's because of the message, but also because of the messenger. And in verse 58, as Jen read a few moments ago, we read, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So why did they want to stone him? I mean, that seems, at the beginning of this passage, they were, we want, to, we want to believe in you, Jesus. And at the end of the passage, they're like, we want to stone you, Jesus. Now, that's a pretty rapid swing in, in, in the popularity poll. Okay, we're talking about a 10 or 15 minute swing where, you know, his approval rating was pretty high. And now his approval rating is so low, they want to stone him. All right. So why did they want to stone him? Well, let's take a look. In verse 34, he said that they were slaves to sin. In verse 49, he said that they were children of Satan and that their will was to do Satan's will. And in verse 55, he said that they were liars. Now, I don't know about you, but no Dale Carnegie course ever taught me this is a great way to influence friends or win friends and influence people. All right? You don't walk up to somebody and say, you're a liar. Will you be my friend? It just doesn't work like that. Not in 
not in normal society. We said it before, and we see this throughout the Gospel of John, that Jesus is a polarizing figure. Because now it just gets kind of silly. If you take a look in verse 48, the Jews answered him and said, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, they basically just uttered a racial, racial epithet at him and said that he was demon-possessed. In an attempt to justify themselves and in their own and not their willingness not to change, these people blaspheme Jesus. Friends, don't let the outrageous claims of Jesus get in the way of you following him. So I want to ask you a question. Who do you trust in? What are you trusting in today? If you are trusting in anything other than Jesus, you're trusting in the wrong thing. Are you, or if you're abiding in anything other than the teachings of Christ, you are abiding in the wrong thing. You hear me say this a lot, and I mean it. Don't let your own little personal functional Savior that gets you through the day, your little buddy Jesus, don't let that get in the way of you knowing the one true Jesus. True disciples abide in the truth. True disciples abide in the word of God. True disciples abide in Christ. Has the truth of Jesus' message, the gospel, set you free? One of the best-known authors on the subject of discipleship is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I want to share two quotes with you as we wrap up this morning. One's long, one's short. Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes, When the Bible speaks of following Jesus, it is proclaiming a discipleship which will liberate mankind from all man-made dogma, from every burden and oppression, from every anxiety and torture which afflicts the conscience. If they follow Jesus... Men escape from the hard yoke of their own laws and submit to the kindly yoke of Jesus Christ. But does that mean that we can ignore the seriousness of his command? Far from it. We can only achieve perfect liberty and enjoy fellowship with Jesus when his command, his call to absolute discipleship, is appreciated in its entirety. Only the man who follows the command of Jesus without reserve and submits unresistingly to his yoke, finds his burden easy, and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. Or to put it another way, for us, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. The question is, are you willing to pay that price if it means knowing the one true God of the universe? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We confess that we are wholly inadequate to do anything apart from you. Moreover, Father, we confess that we desperately need Jesus. We need him to be, our, to be disciples. 
we need him to change our lives so that we can live lives that please you. Father, I pray today that we would know true freedom, freedom that comes only in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.